I'm doing this on my own and I have so many people doubting me and it's making me so hungry to to show them like that I did it. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Calling all women who love their ride. I would like to introduce you to a one-of-a-kind women's motor fest. You will not want to miss this sisterhood celebration of women-owned whips. Cars, trucks, motorcycles, ATVs. If it has a motor, it belongs. Ladies, this is our motor fest. Boys are welcome to attend but the spotlight will be owned by the women in their whips. Check out all the details by visiting womensmotorfest.com. Courtney Casal is in the driver's seat today. This multi-talented young woman was the diesel mechanic in the Army National Guard, and she's building a racing career. As if that isn't enough, Courtney is also in college majoring in marine biology, studying the anatomy and behavior of sharks. Now let's sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Courtney Casau in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Courtney? I'm doing good. How are you, Jamie? I am doing well. Thanks for accepting my invitation onto the show and being willing to share your story and your journey with our Femcanic community. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Now, I my favorite part is always women's journey into the industry, how they got here, and they're so vastly different, uh, and that's that's part of the fun. So how did you stumble upon this industry? Goes as far back as middle school, actually. So I would always see, like, I would see Honda Civics on the road and they were always like, they were always like souped out or like wrapped and they just look super crazy. And it got me interested in it. My dad took me to like some small shows um, down here in San Diego. What really caught my eye was uh, Subaru. And I didn't know what car that was. I just, I fell in love with the sound. Um, I met a friend in middle school who had a cover photo on Facebook of a WRC. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? Like, I have to have that. And he was like, oh, it's a 2006 Subaru, like WRC. And he was like telling me all about it. But it was so much information that it just went in one ear and out the other. And all I knew was that it was just a car with stars. And that's literally all it started off with. And as time went on, I went into high school and then I met somebody and he asked me, hey, are you into cars? And I was like, I mean, kind of. Yeah, I don't know. But this is one of my favorite cars. And I showed it to him. and He was like, oh, my gosh, do you know what that is? And I was like, I just know it's a Subaru and it has stars. That's all I knew. And he was like, no, it's a it's a WRC. But like here in the U.S., like we have the WX and the STI. And he was telling me all about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so I can actually get one of those and I can replicate it or whatever. He's like, yeah, you can. And so he realized that I was more of a JDM kind of fan. Explain that. Like Japanese imports. So we have like the Nissan GTR, like the Skylines. You know, you have the famous Supra. You have the Super STI and the WRX. Uh, We have like so much more. You have the S14s, S13s. He tested me with all of these flashcards. So what he would do was that he printed out pictures of the car itself and he like glued it on one side and then on the back side he put the year make and model and then he tested me with those and then once I got those down then he was testing me with like the engines and like what you know the chassis and so yes I'm glad that I know all these cars but I really want to just focus on the Subaru because I was so obsessed with it and I would like everywhere we went and when my parents took me out and there was a Subaru on the road, I'd be like, oh, it's like Subi. And then 
I would always do it so loud that it would freak him out that they were going to get in an accident. And I was like, no, I'm just I'm so excited. And that's just where it started. And then we parted ways, but I still kept on going and I didn't stop. And then at the age of 18, I bought my 2006 Subaru WX. And so from there on out, I made a YouTube channel two years later after I bought it, just doing, you know, maintenance stuff on it, trying to record some milestones. That's where it all started. So you graduated high school. Mm -hmm. What did you do after high school? So after high school, I went to the Army National Guard here in California, and I signed in at 17, so my parents had to sign my papers, which is something that they were not happy about, (laughs) but um, they accepted it. Why did you decide to go that route, Courtney? So I went that route because when I applied for school, so I, I was living in a mentally toxic like household so if my mom and dad are listening to this um I've already told you guys this (laughs) but here it is again and you know I just nothing but positive energies here because I wouldn't be where I am today so I'm very thankful for all the experiences and life experiences that I went through chose that route because I really just wanted to escape and get out of the house so when I was applying for colleges I didn't get into the colleges that I wanted to go in, which was either like LA or San Diego, but my test scores were too low, had test anxiety, so I didn't do that well. And the last thing I wanted was to go to a community college. I'm going to pause you real quick. I want to talk a little bit about test anxiety Mm -hmm. because that's a very real thing. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of incredibly crazy smart people that get test anxiety and their test scores do not reflect their true intelligence. Mm -hmm. And you strike me as that kind of woman as well, Courtney, through talking with you in the pre-interview, observing a lot of your online content that you've provided, you're crazy intelligent. (laughs) And there are a a lot of people, and I want to speak to those people who who may suffer from test anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. I hate tests. I, I, my listeners have heard me say this. I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Testing can be very challenging for me. Challenging for me too. The, the attention, like I don't get anxiety. My challenge is particularly growing up when there would be uh, verbal tests. So when you mm. think of like, like spelling tests and stuff like that growing up where I get it has to be verbal because obviously you can't do a spelling test and read the book, right? I get that. But when you talk about a kid and people with ADHD and if the only mode is a verbal communication, very, very, very challenging for me. Like I've I've had like, you know, they say one thing and I've had 80 thoughts already. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I totally get it. You know, so I I just want to acknowledge that in one, you being willing to share that and two, any listener out there that either him or herself that struggle struggles with it, or maybe you have a child, your own child that struggles with it. Mm -hmm. This is where our traditional education model really fails people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to I hang agree. so much weight. And that's kind of what irritates me about colleges. All the weight they put on those test scores, it's garbage. Yeah. It really is. They are missing some of the most brilliant people in the world because all they look at are test scores. Think, it, yeah. think about some of the, the wealthiest people in the world. They never even went to college. Some of yeah. them didn't even get accepted into college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> or dropped out. It's crazy like, to think about. Yeah. yeah. It's I, I'm insane. with you. So again, I know you you just kind of said, you know, my test scores and I'm saying this because hopefully you have no shame or anything around that. That's the system failing you, sister. I agree because I remember I was taking the ACT, which is for like science majors, I suppose, or like biology majors. So I had to take it and I had to sign up for the writing portion of it. And I remember we had like 30 minutes to write something about the prompt. And 
I was so embarrassed that I broke down in the middle of the test because I had no idea what to write. And it was making my anxiety rise even more that the people around me, I was just listening to the scribbles of their pencil. Like I was more concentrated on that than I was concentrated on myself and my, in the prompt and what I was going to write. And by the time I turned it in, I only had three sentences. And I think I walked out with the score of like 13 something, which is, I don't know, it was, it was low, but I didn't let that stop me from obviously what I wanted to do. It did suck at the time because I was a young and I knew I was smart, but having like timed exams, timed tests and all that stuff is so difficult because when you're when you're out on the field, you know, there's some things that you do have to memorize and there are things that are going to stick to you, which I totally understand. Those are like a must have that you need to always carry with you. And you're not going to have a notebook. Um, so you can't always rely on that. But, you know, sometimes, especially if you're sitting down and you have a desk job or in a lab, you're always going to have notes on you. And they even created, you know, my, my majors in marine biology, they even created a like waterproof or water resistant notebooks and waterproof pens and stuff you can write underwater. So it's like, it's it's cool, but it just sucks that, you know, in the test, you can't refer back to things. And it just, I don't know, I feel like it discourages a lot of people. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And talk about killing young people's um, confidence. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it just leaves me scratching my head around a lot of that. You didn't get into the schools that you wanted to get into because of the ridiculous mm-hmm. nature of... <laughs> our yeah. our education system right yeah you said you decided to go into the army reserves and your folks had to sign off on that i reached out to all the branches um the only one that got back to me was i think the air force and the army but the air force kept flaking out on me and that just reflected a lot of professionalism and i said you know what that's not cool to do that for someone that's willing to join i've always been interested in the armed forces when i was in middle school I like I wanted to be a pilot and I didn't like roller coasters. So I was like, you know, what? I'm not going to be a pilot. I'd rather be something else. <laughs> Went to the army because they actually promised me a job that I wanted compared to the other branches that were like, hey, you got to pick 10 of these jobs. You might not get them, but you'll be lucky if you do. But I don't want to be stuck with a job that was going to be, you know, that I didn't like for the rest of my life in the service. All I wanted to be was a diesel mechanic so I can use that knowledge and expand off of it and learn on my car. Like I know they're two different platforms because obviously if you're a mechanic in the military, the vehicles over there are diesel compared to here or like your typical regular car. But when I look at the engine bay, it's not so foreign to me anymore. Mm-hmm. I know I know what the tools are and I know how to use them. I know how to do like combinations of other tools. Like even if they're not tools that are related to like cars and stuff. I can be creative and use different types of tools. And I've learned so much just being a diesel mechanic and people who say that, Oh, you're in the national guard and you only work two days of the entire month is it's a total lie. And I get told that a lot. So I don't, I honestly don't even tell a lot of people that I'm in the army national guard because I get judged so much for it. In the reality, I get activated and called up all the time because here in California, we do have fires I always get called up once or twice a year for those. Um, I went to DC and I've also done like civil disturbance when BLM was around. Um, so I've done so much and I always get pulled in so many different directions, whether it's activations or I have to go to a course or, Hey, I have to attend drill for two and a half weeks or I get pulled in all different kinds of directions and people underestimate the national guard. So, and I'm really thankful that I actually do my job there. So I'm very thankful for that. Are you still participating in that? I'm in right now and I've been a part of the National Guard for five and a half years. And I will be getting out May of 2022 to finish my six-year contract. And then I'll be officially out. And that's when I'll be focusing on my racing career and getting my degree. So I'm very excited and I've learned so many things in the military. It's one thing that I'm very grateful for is that I am walking out as an independent leader. And that's something that I'm very excited about because before I was a follower and I had no idea what to do, I was always following other people and following what they had to say. And now I can be my own person and lead other people too. I want to talk a little bit about 
well, I affectionately refer to as kind of like my guest stalking. <laughs> it's not <laughs> no, really it's okay. stalking. I, I do my homework on my guests because I want to get to know you so that we have meaningful conversation. And it's like I tell all my guests, mm-hmm. the only thing you have to be an expert on to be a guest on my show is your own journey, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that drew me to you is your your growth and willingness to share around the struggles that you've had around mental health. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of taboo around that, right? Mental health in general. And yeah, I loved seeing a young woman like yourself tackling it head on because that gives other women of all ages mm-hmm. the space and almost like the permission to speak about it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. And should definitely be more vocal about it. And I was so thoroughly impressed with you. Initially, what, what drew me to you is, okay, checkbox, automotive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mechanic, automotive, okay. Th- there's there's a common thread with Femcanic Garage. But what made me decide to go ahead and reach out to you is some of the stories and your candor you have had around that topic. And I was just so impressed by you. Is it okay if we spend just a, a, spend a little bit of time on that? Yeah. And I'm so open about it and I've talked about it so much and I've wanted to talk about it a lot before coming on the show. So it's, it's been a few years since I've, you know, since I've been through it, but I'm comfortable enough to share it because it's so important and I've had people tell me so many things about depression saying that well you chose to be depressed and you chose to be this way and you chose to to act this way too and emit these feelings to the world and it's not like that like depression is not even a choice you know and it's it's sad that people say that and it hurts and I know it hurts people out there who who have depression and then they get said that to them and that's why they're so quiet. And it's actually super normal to be depressed. If you're normal and normal, put that in quotes, happy all the time, that's, that's not, not normal. normal. <laughs> yeah, it's not normal. Yeah. And I was told that by my counselor and I was like, like mind blown. Yeah. I'm not the only one out there. Well, that's the other thing. Going and get counseling and, you know, having a therapist I've religiously for over a year toggled between weekly and every two weeks meet meet with a therapist for sure. It's a good idea. My life is not perfect by any stretch. Whose life is? But why do we wait for things to get, you know, terrible to try to dig out of before we go? And some of it's cost. I understand there's a lot of different things. And some of it's about finding the right match. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just about finding the the right therapist for yourself. I totally relate. And sometimes, and like you said before, if it's too costly to have a therapist or like, you know, the whole health insurance type of thing, and you have to reach out to maybe like a family member or a friend, acquaintance, somebody like that. Um, it's, it's hard. And there's been times where, you know, I felt down or you know, have feelings of like depression and I know I'm not falling back into it, but there's been times where I've felt sad and and down or maybe upset. And I just think it's so weird how when I try to like emit my feelings to somebody about, you know, like how I feel, like whether it's like super sad or upset about something, they don't really say much. And like, no offense to, you know, my friends who are watching this or watching this, listening to this, it's just, and they know that they they know how that I feel that way. But it's it's just so interesting how it's not people don't talk about it like that. It's just a pat on the back and say, "Oh, you're gonna be fine," or "Oh, you know, like tomorrow's a new day," you know, or "Monday is a new week." You know, it's like it's not like that. Like, don't pat me on the back and tell me everything's gonna be okay because it's not. And right now, like, I don't. It's it's not okay. So don't pat me on the back and just get over it and then go talk about something else and it agitates me because people who have gone through depression or going through depression, like that's, they don't want to hear that. (laughs) 
they don't want to hear that and it makes everything so much more worse but I just I wish there like was more there were more genuine people out there that would actually sit down and take the time to just like breathe and like talk to you like hey I've noticed that you've been feeling this way and you told me this you know like let's talk about it but it's always just a quick pat on the back okay you're good to go like you can walk it off now (laughs) so it's just I find that very interesting and I've ran into that a lot lately so I'm gonna totally pick your brain on this go ahead and the reason why is uh, one, I don't have permission to say who, but there is someone in my life that suffers from depression mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, my ADHD is not an excuse, and I'm not making an excuse. Mm-hmm. The feedback that I have received, Courtney, is what you just described your friends doing to you. Mm-hmm. I know I have done to this person on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm listening to you say it and even listening to her say it to me like i i logically understand the words you're saying mm-hmm. does that make sense and yeah i don't want to be that person mm-hmm. and i am the person that doesn't sits there in silence and doesn't respond mm-hmm. but i also don't want to be that person either because at my core at my core that's not who i am like at my core i'm a i'm a, a loving deeply caring person Mm -hmm. but yet in those situations these situations that you're talking about right now Mm -hmm. i often do exactly what you just described your friends doing Mm -hmm. as i was listening to you share this and and it's something that i've been exploring as well because with this person i want to improve my relationship with them because when you love and care about someone that's what you do Mm mm-hmm my knee jerk reaction and part of it's ADHD where it's like, okay, listen a little bit. And then literally it's like the squirrel mind going off and wandering. (laughs) It's like, bring it in, bring it in, you know? And that's part of it. And some of it is, if I'm being honest, my own discomfort around two things. And I'm sharing this with you because I'm hoping you can coach me and I want to get your perspective. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. One is the discomfort of, hey, I'm I'm having a good day or, and I'm feeling good and I I don't want to feel in a negative mm-hmm. space. You know what I mean? It's almost selfishly I don't want to be in that place with you because I was having a great day. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, woo, let's party. I understand. Right? But that doesn't make it okay either, right? I'm not giving mm-hmm. – but I'm being open and honest with you right now about – how I'm a jerk sometimes Mm -hmm. and I don't mean to be, but it's a very jerk Mm -hmm. a whole thing to do when someone is Mm -hmm. in that space and needs me. And the, uh, the second part of that is, is that the whole thing of, Hey, when you're trying to support someone that is reaching out to you and they're suffering from depression is there's this analogy that was shared with me is imagine someone who is suffering from depression is kind of, you know, people have this, this idea of depression, like you're, you're down in the dumps type of thing. Right. So this like Mm -hmm. visual of being down in a pit kind of, Mm -hmm. and being there with them is not about asking you to crawl down in the hole with them, but be there, Mm -hmm. be there, just be present and be there with them. And this is the second thing that I'm getting to is that I'm afraid of going down there with them Mm -hmm. and not being strong enough to pull myself back out. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that whole whole phrase of, and I'm not saying it's misery. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying and and saying that depression is misery. I'm not. But it's like the misery likes company type thing or, you know, complainers like hanging out with other complainers type of stuff. That's not what depression is. I want to be clear. That's not what Mm -hmm. I'm getting at here. But those have been my two personal fears is one, my squirrel mind and just needing to be present. I guess that's three. Mm -hmm. Two is the not being able to pull myself out of it. And and three, sometimes I'm just in a really good mood and I don't want to be in that space. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sharing this with you 
because when I heard you share, mm-hmm. I heard this person that I love that I've heard those exact words from them. Mm-hmm. And what I I'm asking these questions because I know absolutely know with certainty. That's how confident I feel that there is going to be listeners that are in my position, right? There's going to in current state, right? Because everyone experiences depression in their life. Do you agree with that? Like it may be situational depression. It may, everyone experiences it at some point. I agree. Mm -hmm. Regardless of where the listener is at in their point in life, Mm -hmm. how would you coach and what would you tell someone like me on the best way to be there with you? Knowing that these fears that that I just shared with you, how how would you coach me to be there? So yeah, I think the number one thing that you know people like me would enjoy or have like been through depression or is go- currently going through depression would just be they want somebody to just listen. And like, that's it. Just have somebody to hear them out, express how they feel without being interrupted and just sit there next to them. Even if you can't sit still or your mind's like all over the place, you can always still like go grab a cup of coffee and like a bite to eat and go sit down somewhere else where it's like quiet or uh, for busy minded people, you know, go on a walk through like the woods or the beach or on a hiking trail to, that way it keeps your mind moving. So anybody that has like ADHD out there, I think it's a good idea to keep staying active. I think walking might be like the best one or like doing like a hiking trail, maybe hiking to the top and then just stopping there to talk. And I think that's a good idea. Or talking while you walk. Yeah. Talking while you walk is a good one too, but just being outside of a a building, I think being out in nature helps definitely. And just having someone that's just willing to listen. And the one thing that irritates me the most is when, you know, you try to explain yourself and they're like, well, like, how can I help? Like, what am I like? Like, what are we at? Like a grocery store? Like, how can I help you? No, like we're not at a restaurant. Like, you know, just, just listen and then have some form of like advice, you know, and it, not a lot of people have shared the same experience. So sometimes it's hard to come up with advice um, because the person hasn't gone through it. But I think if that was, you know, if that's the case, then I think they should just listen. And then I think they should obviously pay more attention to that person just because depression, when people have depression, they become really quiet. And that's very concerning because they like to hide their feelings. Just listening is like the pro number one tip I could give to everybody out there. It's very important and to not interrupt them. Active listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being able to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think finding the positive and the negative is a very good one. That If the person hasn't gone through that certain thing that the other person's going through, they don't have experience in it, then I think you know, what they should do is find the positive and the negative. Um, like, yeah, you're going through this now, but you're going to get here and then whatever, or you can do something like you start off with something positive and then you say the negative and then you end with a positive. It's another good way to do it too. And just motivating them, spending more time with them, getting outdoors, doing more activities, doing like check-ins with them is very important. So Maybe every night, every other night, you know, once a week, whatever the case may be. Checking in means a lot to people. And what it, what does checking in mean to you? It's different for everyone, but. Yeah. So like checking in emotionally is like, hey, you know, what have you done today? You know, how have you been feeling? Have you been sleeping too much? Because people who have depression sleep a lot. And, you know, you want to make sure that, yeah, they get their eight hours of sleep and take a nap, whatever, but you want to make sure that they're constantly moving and getting out of the house, not sitting there all day, you know, making sure that they're eating and making sure that their situation is manageable, like stress, like stress wise. Mm -hmm. Um, So whatever they're going through, it's not just a constant like roller coaster going downhill, but checking in emotionally is, is a good thing and asking them, Hey, do you want to hang out? You want to go grab something or find something therapeutic to do? Or, 
doing something that you guys have never done before and introducing that to them too. One thing that I'll call myself out on here, when I was finally educated, properly educated around mental health, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much judgment I had around it. And mental health, the judgment is the worst from the closest friends and family. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I think that's what is most hurtful. I 110% agree. (laughs) I remember sharing with my mom and dad, it was like two years ago-ish, where I went ahead and got assessed per the recommendation of my partner, uh, because she's a Mm -hmm. mental health counselor. She helps a lot of children. Uh, That's her area of focus is children. And Mm -hmm. my son was showing characteristics of ADHD. And I realized that there's no way I could have my son do an assessment without me getting assessed because I needed to deal with my own thoughts, judgments, all of it around mental health. And Mm -hmm. if there's one thing that I hope listeners get from this interview, Courtney, it is this right here, what we're talking about. This isn't about them. Mm -hmm. It is about the people listening to this episode that have ever judged anyone else around depression, ADHD, anxiety, fill in the blank, right? PTSD. Mm -hmm. I hope that those individuals, and I'm calling myself out, I hope we all take all of us a real hard look in the mirror. Why are we judging people? My daughter has anxiety. You know, we talk openly mm-hmm. about it. It's good. There is no way in my family growing up any of that would be talked about. You just don't talk about that stuff. Same here. And Same that here. is the oh. most unhealthy thing you can possibly do. I agree. You disempower it when we talk openly about it. Mm-hmm. And we talk about anxiety. And I was not, I didn't used to be that way. My my partner's the one who helped me with that, hands down. And I'm still working on it, Courtney. It's good. Takes time. It does. It does because anxiety and, de- you know, depression, There there's common things like what you're saying. Like you sleep a lot and there's like certain things. Anxiety comes out, shows up differently for different people. So, oh, yeah. So being able to understand <laughs> that. And seeing it for what it is, Mm -hmm. I still have so much to learn. And if I'm being honest, I have shame around how I have handled and judged people that I love around their mental health. I've been there too. And it's funny that you say that like, you know, depression, anxiety comes in all types of forms and waves and any, and you say you're still working on it. I'm still working on it too. I have small waves myself and anxiety, the way that that, that affects me is like I I'm still trying to be in like crowds like learning how to be back in a crowd Mm -hmm. is hard like cars and coffee learning how to human yeah (laughs) I mean like I can do like shopping malls and whatever but for some odd reason I don't know I think like when I'm going to cars and coffee with a friend or if I'm just spontaneously going out to like a car meet like this actually happened to me the other day where I went out to a car meet and I had anxiety halfway through and I don't remember the other half of the night because I don't know where my mind was at. I don't even know what I said. I don't know what was going on. I just remember the people that were there, but I don't remember any kind of conversation that was there. And it's just, that's the way that anxiety strikes me. And then if there's too many people, I just get really quiet and I just break down and depression. I just become quiet and, everybody thinks I'm okay and I have to put on a mask because 
you know, the whole like, oh, depression is your choice type of thing. and Which is BS, by the way. That's total BS. Yeah. And if you tell someone that, I would smack you in the face if I was there. <laughs> not Not in a hateful way. But no, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Depression is just a, it's a, it's a whole other world. And people, people that haven't gone through it, it just, it sucks. Everyone's gone through it. It's whether they acknowledge it or not. Yeah. And some people hide it mm-hmm. because they want to be tough. And I am so vulnerable to certain types of people if I know their energy and I know I'm like vibing really well with them I'll be vulnerable and then they end up saying it back like hey you know what I've been going through this stuff too and that's like way after I tell my story I'm like so you're saying you could have told me this like a couple months ago and I could help you with it (laughs) well that it just if you're willing Mm -hmm. to share that about yourself but they're not willing to share that same level of vulnerability, it almost turns into a power differential. Oh, yeah. It's not intentional because that that that's what I would do. She would share those things with me. And we all have shit, right? But what it would turn into mm-hmm. is this power differential. But I didn't see it that way or I didn't I didn't realize that's what it is, but it almost puts someone else's look, I'm I'm fine. You're the one with depression and you're the one that has this shit going on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good to go, right? Let's woo. Let's, you know, everything's great. And yeah, it's all very interesting. And like I said, I have a lot of work to do around this, a ton of work to do around this. Um, yeah. And I've come a long way. Be proud of yourself. <laughs> all of us, right? You've come a long way. Mm-hmm. That's what thoroughly impressed me about you, Courtney. You can say, no, I don't want to answer that. And that's fine. Have you ever had thoughts of suicide when you were at your darkest mm-hmm. moments? Yeah, I honestly didn't think that I was going to make it past the age of 18. That's how scary it was. Because I realized in high school, like around the age of 16 is when I came to realize like, holy crap, I have depression. And I tried telling that to my girlfriends at the time. And when I told them that and I told them, Hey, I have, I have thoughts of killing myself. They, I will not forget this moment because they literally just looked at each other and then just like stared back at me and didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. They didn't hug me. They just, they were, they didn't say anything. They were speechless. And that hurt me the most. What would you tell teenagers in those situations to do? If someone says that, even if they're joking or not, Take it seriously because... Even if you think they're joking. Yeah, even if you think they're joking, it's it's a serious thing because even if it comes out as a joke, you might not even see them the next day. And that's the part that, like, strikes people the most is, like, when, it jo- when it's, like, jokingly around, you know, like, ha, 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 you know, you might not see them tomorrow. And sometimes people... I, I didn't do this, but for people who are depressed and they say stuff like that as a joke... They've probably have tried to reach out to people and explain their emotions and how they felt and how they were suicidal and people turned away from it. But then they were like, oh, maybe if I say it in a jokingly way, they're going to be like, whoa, 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 like, are you serious? And I think that's, I don't know, I've never had that before, but I think that's my way of interpreting it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like another form of way of telling them. Um, and then if they don't pick up on it, then it's just kind of like, oh, this, they don't care. Who do you think they should tell? I think they should It's hard because when I told my parents, they thought it was a joke. If you're open and really close to your parents and siblings, I say, tell them. If they're not open and close to you, then I would tell your next relative, cousin, someone that cares about you. And then if not, you know, there's always a a suicide hotline that's open 24 hours. You know, one thing I would strongly recommend too, Hmm. a lot of schools have counselors. Mm Mm-hmm. I had one. I would strongly recommend going to a counselor because it is their job to take that seriously and do the research. Mm-hmm. I had that too. So I was always that kid that was getting pulled out of class when I was a senior in high school. So I was one of those kids that was getting pulled out and I found a counselor that was willing to work with me and 
she ran a bunch of assessments and also like a really good person to tell too as a teacher. Yeah. Teachers will take that seriously too, because what if that was their kid? You know, what would they do and how would they feel? There are so many kids that will tell friends and family member members, and it's exactly what you just shared. That's their experience. Maybe they just can't accept it or comprehend that. And that's why I'd say lean in towards telling a teacher or a counselor at school because by law, they have to research it. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That may save someone's mm-hmm. life. That may save someone's life. Mm-hmm. If someone has an issue or a problem, even if I'm not close to them where I see somebody crying in public, I literally, if I'm talking to somebody, I'll be like, hold on, I'll get back to you and I'll go over there and be like, hey, are you okay? And I obviously know they're not okay because they're crying or upset, but sometimes you just, you need that good Samaritan in you to come out and just approach somebody because what if they have nobody? And I don't, I went through it alone because I've had People tell me, oh, it's your choice to be depressed. Like you choose that way. Mm. So I had to battle that alone. Um, and I hate to see people go through it alone. That's why I don't care if it's a stranger or a friend. How did you get through that, Courtney? I had a counselor. So I got the depression anxiety through the military, through a deployment that I didn't make it on. When I got home from all of that, I was in such a dark place for a month. I was sleeping all the time wasn't eating. And how old were you at this point? 18, 19. I think I was 19 at the time when it happened. And um, I know it was 2018 for sure, but I might have been 18, 19 years old. For a month, I was like, I was just like, I'm such a mess. You know, I, I even started dipping and I was doing like nicotine pouches because I was too, I was too young to drink. So I didn't have like access to all that stuff. So I was using nicotine pouches whatever to get me like high and I was like that's so gross I hated it I didn't even enjoy it (laughs) and I was like I need to go get help and I made an appointment at Kaiser which is my healthcare provider and I was like hey I really need to talk to like a psychiatrist or a therapist and get some help you know I've been feeling this way and they directed me towards the facility that had it in the city and that's where I got help and even though my therapist was a child counselor, which was actually very fun and interesting. I did learn a lot of things um, that, you know, even was outside of whatever I was dealing with. But he also helped me with, you know, my parents because we have a very big age gap. And there were things that I didn't understand, which clarified a lot of things. And I also took... And by age gap, do you mean between you and... My mom and dad. My dad just turned 58. My mom's 60. And I'm only 22. And you do have siblings, right, Courtney? I have one older sister, and she's 28. She's more on the tough love side. The the more I learn about your story, the more I'm impressed by you. Thank you. To have that in you, even while going through that, to take yourself and say, I need help. When I say there's grown-ass people, I mean, when you talk about you were how old? 19 at the time? Mm-hmm. That's still- Made it past 18. That's still a kid, <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. still young. And there's grown-ass adults who, who don't have it in them to take themselves mm-hmm. to get help. Yeah, I wish- One that got me motivated to get out of it was I'm tired- of feeling this way. I'm tired of always living through these memories every single day. I'm tired of dreaming about this. I'm tired of living through it every day and carrying it on my shoulder and in my back. And it was just like, I was always hunched over and I just felt so dark mm-hmm. about everything. And I felt like I was the only person in the world and everybody else was happy go lucky and nobody cared. What age were you when you went and bought your Subi? I was 18. So it kind of coincides with you making that decision like it's time for me to make a change here. I don't want to live like that for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to attract all this negative energy and the negative people. I didn't want to be sitting in the same hole with all these people that felt the same way. And I just, I just, just like, I need to get out of it. I need to be happy. I need to do something. And then that's also where Rex and CJ came from, um, which is the Instagram page. So 
Which you have quite a following on there. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw last you have over 50,000 followers. I didn't, I wasn't expecting it to blow up. Honestly, I was just another girl with a, with a car and I was passionate about it and I wanted to build it just to have power. And then I found out that I was more passionate about things and I was around, I eat, sleep and breathe cards every day now and it's motivating me to become a driver. It almost sounds like it kind of saved you in a way. <laughs> it did. And that's why I would never, ever, ever get rid of it is because it means so much to me. And even if I were to total it for some odd reason, I would still have it sit there in my yard. I don't care. <laughs> a piece of it. Yeah. So it means so much to me. I wouldn't even get rid of it. Um, but that's where the page came from. And if people are listening to this and they're following me or if they're new followers and you go through my pictures and videos and stuff, all of them are motivational quotes that I've gone, like I've gotten off of like Pinterest, but some of them I have made up, but a lot of them I do find because there are a lot of quotes out there that just pinpoint to the way that I feel. And it just, I can't put my feelings in words sometimes, but some of the quotes that I find are like spot on and it's usually the way that I feel either that day or during the week or even something where I'm like, oh my gosh, people need to hear this. And so I was just posting these motivational quotes. Including yourself. Yeah, and it keeps me in check too. Isn't that funny how you do that? Like the crap that I post sometimes, I post it, yes, to share, but it's really what I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you find stuff like that and you find quotes and you save them for yourself and you look back on it. Yeah, so I was just posting pictures with the motivational quote, not just because I was running out of descriptions and comments or captions, um, but because I actually do mean it. There's meaning behind every single motivational quote that I find and I need other people to hear it. And I've actually saved a few people, quite a handful of people. And I've had people reach out to me saying that they're very thankful for me. And it's not even people that I'm interacting with either. I, they're just random strangers that are in a dark hole. And I, even today I, I have one and I screenshotted it and I'll usually share it because I never would have thought that posting those would ever bring somebody out of their own hole. And it's, it's crazy. And that's what makes me want to keep going and it keeps me fueled. And with the car and stuff, it's, I've, I've grew to be more passionate about being a driver. And now I have my followers. I don't really call them followers. I call them supporters. They are really pushing me to achieve my biggest dream, which is to become a driver. What kind of driver? Let's, let's just put it out there in the universe some more. Like highest dream is, is F1. That's where, that's where I want to go. And that's where I want to be. Is you're lighting up like a Christmas tree right now. I, yeah. <laughs> when you, <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I'm, I'm ready and I'm there. What an incredibly strong young woman you are. And I hope my daughter and son listen to this episode. My daughter um, actually had a friend even as young as elementary school and going into middle school that she was friends with. And uh, her friend suffered from um, depression and was mm -hmm. suicidal even at that age. and. Mm -hmm this whole cliche around just decide not to is ridiculous. I think mm -hmm. some people are just wired that way. That doesn't make them yeah. less than. Uh, I think my son's wired that way. I'm a pretty positive person. And even from a very young age, just his self-talk, uh, quite honestly, would concern me. Like when he mm -hmm. was five and six years old, like stuff he would say, it would like break my heart. Like, I mm -hmm. don't even understand where this is coming from, buddy. <laughs> like, you're not yeah. hearing me say it, but it broke my heart. I think some people, for whatever reason, they may have tendencies that way. And the best thing that we can do as family members, partners, friends is show up for them. And not judge them yeah. for it. Keep showing up. Which this yeah. seems like a perfect time to launch into the red line round. Because 
I'm curious how you're going to answer some of these questions. I'm pretty, pretty excited to see what your responses are. All right. (laughs) What the red line round is, it's just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Uh, Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. You ready? Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. Did the test anxiety kick in? (laughs) I'm like thinking about, I'm thinking about all these questions like, like name a color and you're like red or it's like name this and you're like banana like I don't it's like one of those like you know you have to like like answer them so quick I'm like, hey, no, banana, no, red. It's just, it, it, that's funny <laughs> banana red I don't know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's the first thing that comes to your head go pizza I don't know <laughs> so I think about like rapid fire I'm like okay ready <laughs> oh that's awesome so are you ready I'm ready. <laughs> I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, but. Well, trust oh, me, God. you're going to answer them perfectly because, like I said, everything is all about just being an expert on yourself. So you're good to go. Is it timed? No, it is not timed. It is definitely not timed. That's a bunch of BS right there. So take, it's red line. Take the timer out. All righty. So, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry so far? Well, first one, Peter and Oliver Solberg. That's what my car is based off of. So those are my number one. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get you feel stuck or you get stuck on a job? YouTube. Yeah. 110%. <laughs> You're part of that community. You actually yep. produce YouTube content <laughs> that other people yep. go and watch now. What excites you most about what you do and what you're going to be doing? Adrenaline. The adrenaline. <laughs> adrenaline. Yeah. You're a, are you an adrenaline junkie? I'm an adrenaline junkie. And what's the craziest thing you've ever done? When I was a kid, because I have a bunch of like road burns <laughs> from like tossing myself down the hill because I live on a hill. <laughs> and I would toss myself down like jumpies when you would have you know, the ones that you can slide off of instead of sliding, I would just toss myself off of them. And my uncle was like, my uncle, who's a, who's a stunt man was like, you should, you know, you're going to grow up to be a good stunt woman. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I want to do it. (laughs) That's what I thought I was going to be when I was younger. Cause I was doing all these things. I didn't care about scars. I didn't care about bleeding. I didn't care. I didn't have any broken a bone and I should probably knock on wood for that one. (laughs) But (laughs) the adrenaline and competition i'm a very competitive person what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged a personal habit or practice i know going for a drive is always like my number one and the beach is like right there it's always good to just drive by the beach or bring my car to the beach and just sit there and just like get away from everything, get away from the shop, get away from the tools and just think for a moment and then, you know, treat myself for like a nice coffee and just sit down and think. That's like the best therapeutic way for me to compose myself and get myself back together and then continue back to what I'm doing. Step away for a little bit. I like yeah, it. Sometimes you can't be in the same area for so long and you get so annoyed. I literally have blood, sweat, and tears in my engine bay. I've literally cried in my engine bay. <laughs> so embarrassing. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades in motorsports industry? Don't give up and don't think that racing is all about money because it's not. And I remember that's something that I told you in the pre-interview that we had is when I first went out to the track, you know, I said, hey, how do you get here? And the guy just showed his hands and, you know, put them together. He said money. And I said, oh, I'm never going to get there. (laughs) And he left me so discouraged. Um, But we know somebody, uh, Jesse, who's a NASCAR driver and he was born and raised, I don't know what part, but he was born and raised in Africa and his family sent him here. And I'm sharing like a very generalized story of his, but his parents wanted him to make the last name like memorable and important and just so big um, and to represent him and his family. 
and he came here with nothing. And, you know, he tried getting a job, saved up enough money, bought his dream car, sold the dream car, got his racing license, and now he's racing in NASCAR. And it just goes to show that even if you're at the bottom with nothing and you, you're coming to the United States from another country, it's it's so possible. And he's also a, a Navy officer, too, active duty in NASCAR. And it's just it's it's possible. And me and Jesse were supposed to talk, but we just haven't been the right time. But he really did show me that you don't need to be rich to be racing. Be open and keep asking for help and reach out to people. And I'm so glad that you reached out to me. And I'm glad that I am able to be a part of this podcast because this is honestly another big step and milestone for myself to get into the racing industry. I'm so happy to call you a friend and reach out to you for help because you know a lot more than I do. And I'm just a beginner in this whole racing community. Right now I know probably below minimum or bare minimum, (laughs) but I know that learning is going to come a long way. You and I aren't that far off, my friend. (laughs) Now I know some people who know a whole lot that I can connect you with. Femcanic Garage and when I interview these women, including yourself, so many of them thank me, just like you're doing now. I really need to be the one thanking you ladies because one, Mm -hmm. Femcanic Garage platform doesn't exist without your story because Femcanic Garage isn't my story. It's all Mm -hmm. of our stories. Does that make sense? I love that about this community. This is a whole other part and there's a difference between, you know, your, your car community that you have like in your city and states and stuff, but it's a whole other, the racing world and the community there is, is so different. My heart will always be there for the car community and the people who are just starting. Um, And I know that there's girls out there that want to be heard and they're like, well, how did you get here? What do you do? And my next thing is like, when I do get there and figure out my way to get there and say that I'm actually here, I want to be able to help other women do the same thing. Courtney, you're already there. <laughs> I've, I'm doing this on my own and I have so many people doubting me and it's making me so hungry to, to show them like that I did it. I need you to pause and receive what I'm telling you. Oh, oh there we go. you're talking as if you're not there. You're already mm-hmm. there. <laughs> you you are it's hard it's a you just need to accept that you're there but you're there you're talking like you're not one of them I you are I one I of them <laughs> girl you are one of them and there is already a slew of women and girls looking at you saying I want to be like her you are their role model You don't get to 50,000 followers on Instagram by accident. Femcanic Garage has been up for two years, and I haven't broken (laughs) 5,000 Instagram followers. I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. I have my loyal followers. Who know? It may may hit something and blow up. I don't know. Oh, it's going to blow up. (laughs) My only focus is producing great content, and you are there. You just need to see yourself as being there because I already see you there. I don't know too many other people who have as many sponsors as you do. Thank you. It means a lot to me. You're there. You're there. You put yourself there. And other people see you already as there. That's why you were able to get sponsors. That's why you have the following and the impact that you're having on people's lives. Because people see you as there already. Stay humble, for sure. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) You're already there, Courtney. You're already there, girl. That makes me so happy to hear you. Hi, my name is Courtney Casal. I'm a future F1 driver, and I'm a femcanic. Luis Azapata is in the driver's seat next. She is a heavy vehicle mechanic from Australia and competed in the World Skills Competition. 
She received the silver medal in 2016, making her the first female to compete in and win the National Heavy Vehicle Competition. The following year, she placed fourth in the world, making her the first female to compete in this skills category at the international level. Be sure to tune in next week to listen to this amazing interview. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?